Hello and welcome to another episode of Visionary Voices, a podcast series by Linkleaders. I'm Deepika Sriram. Throughout this podcast series, we've been talking to successful women in business and law who are based out here in the Middle East. We asked our speakers to share their career stories, the challenges that they have faced, and their vision for the future generation. And today's episode is a very special one for me because I'm speaking to my mentor, Dahlia Namari. Dahlia is a counsel here at Linklaters and heads the capital markets practice in Saudi Arabia. She's a Linklaters veteran, having spent nearly 13 years in the firm, working in both the London and Dubai offices. Dahlia is a champion for women in the workplace, having recently been awarded the LexisNexis Women in Law Awards. The award recognizes her advocacy for women in the legal industry and for paving the way for future female leaders in the workplace. I'm really honored to have her on board today, talking to us about her journey and perspectives on challenging bias. Dahlia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Deepika. I'm really happy to be here. Dahlia, we're so proud of the work you've been doing in the capital market space, as well as advocating for women in the workplace. But tell us a little bit about how that journey all began and the career path that brought you here. Sure, and thank you very much for that. Um, I really appreciate it. So in terms of my journey, um, I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and, and, and I studied in the UK. And when I was at university, I applied for a training contract with Linklaters and, and, and I got it and I was very excited. But it wasn't actually very easy to get my family on board. Uh, so the concept of my living abroad, away from them without any sort of guardian wasn't really accepted culturally. And it was thought to be fine for university because it was felt that education was so critical that you could sort of accept this. Um, and also, you know, there wasn't kind of educational institutions of the same caliber um, back home. Um, but, you know, for work, they thought, well, there's enough opportunity and some argued more opportunity. Uh, so, so it wasn't easy, but I fought for it. Um, and, and, and I managed to persuade my parents. And then I had to have the same a discussion when I qualified um, they said well you've got your qualification now you know um, you should come back and I said no I've got to have more experience um, you know my peers will have this experience I don't want to be different so I I stayed a little bit longer and I think after that they they, they sort of gave up a little bit um, uh, on the idea that I was ever going to come back home uh, but also I think they they really uh, appreciated the sort of changes that they saw in me that they thought were very positive. They were, they could see that the opportunity was different. Um, so, so I didn't really face those same challenges again. Um, and then I relocated to the Middle East at the end of 2011. Uh, and that was actually really helpful to my career. Um, I think being from the region and speaking Arabic, I felt I was able to connect with clients in, in a different way. Um, and I felt I had this sort of USP um, that, that I didn't necessarily have in the same way uh, when I was in the UK. Uh, so, so that was a really good time. Uh, and then I was promoted to MA uh, and then I got married in 2017. And um, there was this, I think, view that was held, I think maybe amongst my family and maybe even 
amongst some people at work that I would maybe just you know move to Jordan where my husband's job was um my, my husband never had this this view but I think there was this kind of feeling um and then again I fought really hard to stay in my career um even though that meant my husband and I ended up being apart uh living in different countries which wasn't easy at all um and then I had my first child in 2018 uh, and I took maternity leave uh, and again I felt like there was some sort of expectation that I would, you know, scale back uh, after that first child, um, but I didn't. I came back full time and I actually decided to go for a council promotion. That wasn't easy either. My husband was kind of commuting back and forth at the time. Uh, he was still based in Jordan. And so sometimes I felt like I was a single parent. Um, I, I also broke my leg three months after returning, which wasn't helpful because <laughs> I couldn't walk. And part of uh, my, my um, promotion was, was about building a, a Saudi capital markets practice, which involved a lot of trips to um, Saudi, which I, I did sometimes in a wheelchair <laughs> at the airport and, and on crutches. Um, so, so it wasn't easy, but I managed to get the council promotion in early 2020 and then had my second baby a few months after that. And then I took my second maternity leave. Uh, and, and, and at that point, my, you know, my husband said that he would, you know, move with me to, to, to the UAE. We'll, we'll sort of move to the UAE and, and um, try to be based there so that, that I could manage better. Um, and, um, and then when I came back, I quickly got promoted to head of capital markets in Saudi Arabia. And, um, and, and, and here I am. So I'm really happy that I have fought this career and fought for this career and that I, that I am where I am today. Wow, that's so inspiring, Dahlia. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, you've been on this journey with us uh, from the start. So, so you know that we started the series to have conversations about challenging bias. And I want to know, how have you seen bias being manifested in the workplace? I think you, you talked a little bit about sort of culturally, sometimes how that comes across, but um, how have you seen that in, in the workplace and how have you sought to challenge it? Thanks, Deepika. I think that's a really important question. So I've never felt as though I'm in a biased system. You know, have I seen or experienced examples of unconscious bias? Yes, and I, I can give you some examples now. But I do feel quite privileged to be in a place where these examples really are isolated incidents. So as I mentioned, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and, and my mother and my sister both worked there. And at the time, around 10 or more years ago, there was a major gender pay gap. Uh, they were paid less to do the same job as their kind of male colleagues. Uh, and this was just a widely acknowledged and accepted fact. Um, and, and here in the UAE, I have a friend who's a senior associate at a reputable international law firm. Um, and she was told one evening by the partner that she works with that, you know, she should go home because her husband was probably waiting for her. Uh, I have another client now in a very senior position uh, who told me that she was working late one evening with her male um, colleague manager uh, and uh, they needed to kind of bind this presentation uh, for a client and he told her don't worry I'll do it you know I wouldn't want you to ruin your nails. So happily I've never seen or experienced examples of such overt bias but unconscious bias um, is something that does happen a bit more regularly and it's just as you know uh, less visible to the naked eye 
gosh, that sounds terrible. And to actually have women in this day and age go through this is just heartbreaking. But as you say, Dahlia, thankfully, these incidents are few and far between. But the sort of bias that is more common is probably the one uh, that is not so obvious. So how do you really identify and call out when you come across those instances? So one way that I have seen it manifest is with underperforming females, sometimes not being given maybe the benefit of the doubt. So a very long time ago, I recall there was a female in, in one of the teams who was operating a little bit below the expected standard. Uh, and some of her colleagues, I felt, were maybe a bit quick to dismiss her as being not committed, uh, that this is not the right career for her. And I asked at the time, you know, whether someone had attempted to have a conversation with her to try to get to the bottom of what was going on. And, and there hadn't been. And I think you know, the question of whether she was actually committed and whether they misjudged the situation almost doesn't matter. Uh, they were probably right, but, but you still need to make a real effort to check in. Uh, I find that sort of people in their nature are bad at confrontation or they find it awkward. I mean, I find it awkward sometimes, um, but I think also men find this particularly awkward with women, but it's still important to have that conversation, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a really tough one because it's such an unconscious bias where you normally may have been given a chance to improve, but you're denied that opportunity only because of your gender. What else have you come across, Dahlia? Another example is, I think, where that you tend to see sometimes is where women get feedback that relates to their personality rather than you know their performance or job-related skills. And actually looking back at my um, early years uh, at a very, very junior level, um, I think I did experience this sometimes. Uh, so I was once advised uh, but that I should sort of walk around the office uh, more confidently and loudly. And I was specifically compared to another of my male peers who did this very well. Uh, and actually this came from someone who was trying to help me. And so I appreciated that it came from a good place. She really wanted me to progress and she thought that this would help me better promote myself. Um, but it feels a bit like I should be, you know, assimilating to a particular culture or type. And that's a bit difficult to hear because, you know, you always try to stay true to your identity and that's something quite important. Another sort of example of this is sometimes feeling like there was a perception that I wasn't ambitious or in it for the long term. Just one um, specific uh, individual, uh, and, and actually that person said to me at some point, you know, I have to say, Daya, I'm so glad that you're still here. You know, even though I have to say I'm quite surprised. And at the time, I thought, you know, why are you surprised? Um, why are you not expecting me to be here? And when I look back and reflect. I realized, you know, he, he just couldn't see or hear my ambition because, you know, it didn't conform to a particular persona or expectation of what ambitious, ambition looked like for him. Uh, so I think when people have a slightly skewed perception, albeit unconsciously skewed, of what you are like, um, then you will constantly surprise them. And all these examples, they're actually of people that were very well intentioned and, 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 and had no 
you know, ill feeling and, and we're genuinely trying to be helpful. Uh, and there are actually things I never even clocked at the time. I really had to think hard about it. Uh, but it just goes to show how how mindful we need to be about bias and, and the different ways in which it can manifest. Absolutely true. I mean, these are isolated incidents, but they give you a really good insight into the issue at hand. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to pick up with you, as uh, our speakers in previous episodes have brought this up, is about organizational changes to tackle bias. Uh, what sort of mechanisms and policies should organizations be putting in place? So challenging bias is not just one person's battle, but actually something that companies work from the top down. Yeah, um, so, I, you know, I think there's a lot we can do here, but I think just taking a step back, you know, what is the issue with bias? Bias makes it difficult for us to be diverse and in turn for us to be inclusive. So people who are the subject of bias, they will just feel as though they're not in an inclusive environment and then they will probably leave that organization and then, you know, you end up being not diverse because you're not retaining those people that you know, allow you to be diverse because usually they are the subject of bias. So inclusion is about creating a workplace that works for everybody. And I think that's the key um, where they don't just feel like they're tolerated, but everyone is able to feel respected and that they are seen and heard and valued. And I think to achieve that inclusion needs to be in our DNA. So you know, obviously we need to do things like calling out bias and try training for it, but it can't just be a sort of separate action. You know, we, it has to be part of our overall purpose. Um, and, and we need to be kind of actively anti-bias by design. So I think organizations need to build like an intentional strategy that um, goes beyond what I've actually heard described as, as vanity metrics, like, you know, meeting targets for gender, which are important. But, but, but to go beyond that, to build a culture of, of equity that, that lasts, so that actually this becomes something that you don't need to train for. Um, and I think we need to be careful to avoid kind of corporate tokenism. One of my clients, because I, I recently attended a, a women's networking event and we all kind of were sharing our, our, our views and people were at different stages of, of the career ladder. And one of the very senior women um, who works actually at a very big investment bank said, you know, there is a little bit of a box ticking exercise, I think, with some of these things, at least they sense that. So she as a woman and as a senior woman needs to be on the interview panel for you know, all interviews, uh, they need to have at least two women uh, or, or something to that effect. And she says, you know, a lot of the time the decision's already been made, uh, but they kind of, you know, they go through the motions and have women on, on, on the panel to just kind of tick the box. So I think, you know, you, we need to make sure that, that we're avoiding that. And in coming up with our strategies and policies and our practices, we need to think that we want to serve everybody instead of you know, serving the same model of person that we've been, you know, serving for so long. So, you know, what does that look like? I think, first of all, you know, the awareness is key. I mean, even minority groups, females, you know, ethnic minorities, we buy into that behavior. We have the same biases. We have to, you know, we have to question ourselves. Um, 
And we all need to use our, our power to kind of correct the wrong, uh, to speak up on behalf of others. And more importantly, to be okay with the discomfort that that will often bring. And, and we need to kind of foster this culture where, you know, you can have a relationship with your manager where you can, you know, share your truth. You can talk about, you know, your, your work and, 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 and the things that get in the way of that. And, and I don't think there's enough normalization of that. Um, so this is all really part of just creating um, an environment in which people can thrive and, and, and people thrive and they're at their most productive when they feel protected and, and, and cared for and, and, and they feel safe. Um, so also related to that, it's you know, performance process, you know, feedback to be given thoughtfully, um, um, things like um, you know, mentorship, leadership, I think that's critical. So I didn't really have good mentors until later in my career. And, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, I, I waited too long to do it and I still don't think I have enough mentors. Uh, I think you, you almost need to have like your own personal uh, board of directors. Uh, and, and I think it's good to have people in, in, within your organization, but also people outside your organization. Like this is crucial. I think in the most difficult parts of my career, um, if I didn't have that someone to speak to, uh, I would have, you know, struggled a lot more. I may have, you know, wobbled a lot more um, and, you know, potentially not been where I am today. Uh, so that's really important. Um, and I think just overall, we need to be willing to ask better questions and to listen. I think sometimes we're scared to do that because we worry about, you know, what the answer will be. And we just feel like it's threatening or that it's going to open a can of worms. I think there is definitely a fear or reticence about, about kind of asking what people need. Um, and I think we need to be better about that as well. Oh, that was wonderful, Dahlia. Um, and I love that you said that uh, people need to be celebrated of who they are. Uh, and that's really the theme for, for diversity and inclusion. Uh, but DNI policies also just need to be consistent, and and that's how they will they will work. They need to be sort of integrated into the organization at every level that you talk about. Uh, so so um, that was that's really wonderful. Um, thank you. And uh, my last question to you today, somewhat of a personal one. Uh, what is the one piece of advice that you'll be giving your daughters? Oh. That what um, one piece of advice? I think uh, I, yeah, I have a lot of ideas about how I would want to raise my daughters and and what I would want to say to them. But I think maybe the most important is that you know, in our time, women and kind of marginalized communities or or minorities, we operate in the space uh, with this feeling as though we don't belong in this space. We've been given a favor or a permission to, to enter this space uh, that isn't ours. And so my key advice would be that, you know, you are not a visitor here. You need to own and occupy that space. Own who you are and what you contribute to whatever space or place you're in, whether it's the workplace or your studies or wherever it is, you know, don't ever allow yourself to feel like you can't bring your full self to any environment. Um, and, and don't ever think, why me? You know, always think, why not me? I think that's something like we've all heard before, but 
you have to ask yourself that. Uh, you have to keep, you know, challenging yourself and questioning yourself. No, why? Why do I think that there's no route for me, or why do I think that this, you know, option is not available to me? I think be bold. Don't be afraid. Like don't be held back by fear. I think the problem in in our kind of industry and in the workplace is that people are scared. They're scared to say that they're struggling or they're scared to say that you know um, I've, I've, I've experienced this or I need this or that there's too much fear um, associated with everything and what I've found in my career so far is it's just it's misplaced you know don't have conversations in your head have conversations with people um, and um, yeah just you know always always speak up thanks Dahlia you've definitely given us a lot to reflect on as we near the end of this podcast series, we're so grateful to have you on board talking to us about your journey and perspectives. We love that you were bold and honest and brought your true self to the episode, as you would say. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tipika. I'm really glad that I was able to be a part of this. Thanks to everyone at Linklaters who helped us pull this podcast together. The Middle East DNI team for getting behind the idea to do the series and providing the platform for it. Tushbu and Cecilia and the digital marketing team for website design, comms, and marketing. Everyone at the film and media team for audio editing and design. And Raluca and Patrick for bringing this podcast together and making it happen. Tune into the next episode to hear more from another interesting speaker wherever you get your podcast.